Alrighty then, we are not going to waste any more time with that intro. We got to get into this, the best Tuesday you have had all week, and the True Wealth Radio Show. Joining me in studio today, my main man, Matt Dixon. Matt, yes. What have you got for us? Well, you know, we like to put some effort into these radio shows, right? We want to bring listeners what's relevant what is happening, and how it can better them as an investor. And maybe also what ChatGPT comes up with. Yeah, when I skipped the (laughs) ChatGPT today because, I don't know, I just wanted something fresh, hot off the press. I love it. Yeah, so I went to the- There's a lot going on, by the way. Like, a lot going on right now. So, let's take a step back for one second. I was out all of last week, right? Mm -hmm. I was on vacation. I was doing a construction project Does that explain what happened in the markets? Uh, Yeah. You you take off and then this? Yeah. Because for years, it's been me. So, I'm happy to pass that baton. Yeah, well, I think I somehow accepted it unwillingly, but- so no more so vacations for Matt. There's a chance. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no more vacations. Um, but I got, you know, I really didn't check the market while I was out. Right. And so I step in on Monday and I look and I'm like, oh my gosh, Yeesh. you know, the S&P went from 4,500 to like 4,275. Yeah. I'm like, what happened while I was gone? And so instead of, you know, having technology help me build this program, I'm like, I'm going to really dig in and find out what you know, happened over the last week. What are the headline articles? So I read through a bunch of different stuff um, later this afternoon. And I'm going to walk you through some of the headlines that I saw. And it's going to sound really negative. But I want the listeners out there who hear this to stop and say, okay, yeah, this sounds really bad. I get it. I'm used to negative news. What's the good? What's the silver lining? And I think that's going to be the main part of the show today. Okay. What good stuff can we pull from this? So, so let's start. This will be it's like the spin zone. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Got it. Just just making sure that we're on the same page here. Although I, I mean, we chuckle about this. I will try to. Uh, in this case, believe it or not, I'm adding color today. So I'm excited to hear kind of uh, Matt what you've got laid out for us. So I'll try to add color where I can. But I will also endorse the idea that uh, remember, investing is all about time horizon Mm -hmm. and then being ready when the opportunities present themselves that's really actually what i was going to bring together for this show is you need to be ready and you need to be opportunistic um and so my thought process is so when turmoil comes in the marketplace where's that opportunity yeah so there's you may have not heard this one before because uh this is this comes with gray hair when you've heard this okay okay Uh, But one of my favorite phrases from Warren Buffett is, you should be fearful when others are greedy and Mm -hmm. greedy when others are fearful. Right. Right. Wouldn't you say that there's a lot of fear right now, actually? Uh, So whether or not it's fear, I don't know yet. But it's funny. I was going to I'll tag on to this. I'm just hearing like the underlying community chatter is this that we are no longer able to deny inflation. Right, and that it's way stickier than what we thought it might be. Well, it's stickier. We can unpack that a little bit, but I just want to move back to, for a while, you could try to get on, like some areas tried to sort of explain away inflation. Mm. Now, I, I believe that there's underlying motives every time that that, and it's not necessarily political in nature, but I think any anytime you're getting news, right, like even now, Right. This is a, actually a paid advertisement. Mm-hmm. Crazy as that sounds, right? Now, 
we treat this as an opportunity to communicate the values of the firm, to get an idea of what our personality is and what we're trying to do. Because from our viewpoint as ethical capitalists, the trick is, well, we are capitalists, but to be ethical about it, we need to be delivering superior value to what we're receiving. Okay? Mm-hmm. So how can we do that? Okay, One of the things is that we can provide an education to folks. Right? And, and we do that for lots of reasons. Many of you may go off and do this on your own. You may take it to your own advisor. That's fine. And then some of you are going to discover that the circumstances of your life are such that you need somebody else to tag in. Like you're just spread too thin or for whatever reason you are either unable or unwilling to do a lot of this stuff yourself. And so you need to bring that ally to the table. And so we're sort of competing for that spot. Yeah. But all of that still comes back to the frame up of advertising in many cases drives the media and what you get. So the messaging has been, oh, well, if, if you're the kind of person that was like, like I really do think it's hard to, to, to get this politics out of this because you're saying, well, the policies are really, no, they're good policies, right? This is not because of that. We're sort of running out of runway for that. We're at the point of, okay, well, nearly four years, we've had a bunch of policy post-pandemic and we've tried this stuff. And all of the things that economists warned about have basically occurred. And you have to really be in denial now. Like, the undertones everywhere from every persuasion just about are, mm-hmm. it's bad. Right. Yeah, like, well, I mean, I don't even know where to start. I got a lot of points to talk about, yeah. right? Well, let's just start with the idea that if you are out there feeling like the world is kind of broken, that it's not fair, or, hey, I got a raise and it didn't even touch my cost of living, mm-hmm. that food is more, my power bills have doubled or tripled or more, that I, there's no available housing, that vehicles cost a fortune, that credit card debt's crippling you, like, guess what? You're not crazy. That stuff is really happening right mm-hmm. now. And my suspicion, Matt, is that you've got data points to start backing some of this up, that the economy yeah. is telling us that this pain is real. Right. Okay. Yeah. Let's hit it. So let's just start with the ten-year Treasury. So the and when a lot of people don't really, I feel like, understand what that might even mean, right? So what that rate of today it was at four point five five percent. It means basically, to put it in simple terms, you can go loan your money out for ten years and get an annual rate of four point five five percent in return. Right. And that is yeah. supposed to be. The risk-free rate of return, right? Academically, when, when we, they do mathematical formulas, they go, "Look, the federal government is supposed to be." Yeah, you're loaning the government money. Yeah, the most secure borrower possible, and and the reason this makes sense is twofold, right? One, they have guns. Mm-hmm. Two, they have a printing press. Did I mention that that was the highest level since 2007? You did not. So this is the highest the ten-year Treasury has been. Mm-hmm. Can you just, in really simple terms? Like, what does that mean? Not but, not like the right. economic impact, but like definitionally. Borrowing money is expensive. Bingo. Yeah. yeah. That's it. it. It costs more now. Your credit card payment, if you don't pay the whole thing off every month, will cost you more now than it has since 2007. And why is that? Well, the co- I mean, there's a lot of compounds. Sure, but like in basic terms, I'm trying to set this up so listeners really understand why yeah. did my credit card go from 27% interest to 35% interest? And it's because underlying interest rates across the board have exactly. shifted higher. And, mm-hmm. and some of that is in response to policy adjustments and the market, right? What the market is saying is inflation's out of control. And, and here's a simple one, right? Hey, mm-hmm. Matt. Yeah. And I borrow money from you for the next 10 years. 
Yeah, it depends at what rate. Right. It and, better and be like, more. It better be more than four point five five percent. Right. Because you're going to say, look, for you know five percent, I got better things to do with my money. I can put exactly. it in a savings account right now and make five percent. Yep. Right. And if you don't believe me, right, go to our website and send us an email. We can get you connected with programs with FDIC insured savings accounts that are yielding over five percent as yeah. of today. Yeah. Okay? And if you're listening to this today. What is our date? September 26th of 2023. Mm-hmm. Yields in north of 5% in savings accounts that are FDIC insured. Right. Okay, so that that exists right now. Not mm-hmm. CDs for a one-year tie-up or anything like savings. I want to talk about that actually in a little bit more detail. So you're talking yeah. about this 5% thing. Well, I'm I, talking about yeah, that cost sure, of capital sure. issue. It's like the markets have said, I don't trust the markets with right. inflation. He, I got to get paid for me to tie up my money. Here's what I find interesting. And we're talking about that optimism kind of being zapped out of the, the space right now. If we rewind back to March 7th of this year. Okay, so what, six months ago or so? A little yeah, over six months. not that long ago. We saw the one-year treasury at 5%. Okay. Now, follow me. So we're going to fast forward to May. Okay. So March to May. Three months, basically. Yeah. So it fell. It fell down to 3.75%. The one-year. Uh, actually, I believe this was the two year I was looking okay. at. All right. So the yeah, so, two so, years. So short-term, short-term money, money. fell on yeah. short-term money. It fell. Okay. In which that was indicating, right? to the market saying, hey, hey it's working. Right? Yeah, the, policy's working. Exactly. Hey, maybe this isn't going to be as bad as we thought. Maybe we should back that rate that down because we expect things to get better. Yeah, the markets are saying this policy's working. Inflation is starting to right. come out of the system. Yep. To that. which I then go <coughs> Well, that was May. Yeah. Now let's fast forward to well, September. But, but remember, I've been a, a complainerama about this you ha- since yeah. about 20 21 mm-hmm. maybe 2020 i've been saying for a long time nope this inflation stuff is real it's coming you'll see right go so, on yeah so from april to july we actually saw a lot of optimism you fast forward to september looking at today that rate is now over five percent on the two year. on the two year so what that's telling us is this high interest rate environment might be around longer than initially expected. Ah, so this is a really interesting place to pause for a moment and then like circle back. Yeah. The let's idea do it. that uh maybe rates are going to be around longer than we maybe want. and like maybe. what what's the yeah. underpinning of that. But yeah, okay. we'll grab a break first. So stick around. We will be right back where we'll unpack that more. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Where there's a lot of banter going on behind the scenes a lot that you missed. Behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, if you check out the podcast, you will probably get the behind the scenes banter on this show. Sometimes it gets cut out, but this one, uh, there's just a lot more to it because we're going to run out of hours today. Yeah. Right, so we're going to run out of time on this show to really cover this. But Matt, what's um, so we're the, talking about yeah, like there's a quote going around okay, higher. Up. It's higher for longer. And it's in reference to interest rates. Okay. And it's it's kind of trending right now. It's what people are talking about. 
these rates might stick around longer than we expected. Yeah. And Do you know where that sort of originated from? Like entertain me. Well, I'm not certain. I mean, oh, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, you know, we've heard it out of like J.P. Morgan. And yeah. Some other places. Well, the CEO came out today and or maybe yesterday. I thought it was today. And he said, you know, I just I'm kind of issuing a warning here. I think that seven percent from the Fed might be realistic. I think stagflation could be a thing. And he was kind of grim on market outlook. Yeah. Yeah. If I were to look at the buildup of structural issues that are going on in our economy and they're really regulatory structural issues mm -hmm. uh, it explains a lot more of what's going on here and and how we're compounding things and it even explains to a certain extent why like, a, lot of, a lot of folks don't track this the same right what you see in the economy versus what you see in the stock market did ever do you ever think about like why they don't seem to align that well like, yeah really not great indicators well, the stock market is is greedy right and it wants to make money investors want to make money so they're going to look out into the future and say just because it's rough today doesn't mean it's rough three months from now so maybe we should invest now sure. with the anticipation and hope that things are better in the future and that anticipation and hope that buying momentum causes the stock market to go to higher levels than it was prior so it can get out in front I'm going to throw out a theory that I've never shared with you before or anybody else. Not I'm, even on air. This not is even on air. This is groundbreaking. Sort of a, it, I'm sort of making this up as I go, but tell me how this doesn't fit the data. Okay, okay? I'm ready. So let's think about first a cap-weighted index. Yep. We've talked about this theory that the S&P 500, the, the more that it goes up, mm -hmm. right, that it becomes more and more concentrated in the biggest stocks. Because the big guys eat the little guys. The big guys eat the little guys, and because 5% growth on a big guy versus 5% growth on a small guy, if the pie is basically the same, it starts getting a bigger portion of the pie. And we've right? actually kind of seen that in the financial institution area, right, where these bigger banks have absorbed some of the smaller banks. We've seen that recently. That's a kind of right. a pertinent example. So the issue under, under underneath this is, like, for most investors, if you've ever heard of rebalancing, right, it's the idea that, well, you sell the winners and buy the losers. Right. But the indexes don't really do that. Mm -mm. They just wait to the biggest companies in these cap-weighted index. So the what happens is they become disproportionately top-heavy. And I've, I've used the term that the, the big stocks eclipse the small ones, right? So like you literally, there's the, if you were to line them all up with the biggest ones in the front of the line, the small ones in the back of the line, you'd never see the back of the line. Right. Because you couldn't see around the big ones in the front. Yeah. Okay? So the issue here is that there's most of our population doesn't invest in the stock market in a material way. Right? It's an institutional market. Yes, there are people that participate in it as a byproduct, right? If you've got a pension plan or something like that, then you're in it. But you're not moving the markets a whole lot if you're in the, your FERS program and you pick the S fund, right? Great. You bought the index and the money just sort of went in as a block. You're not trading that. Doing it. And so the retail investor doesn't move the market a ton. Mm -hmm. They can move the fringes a little bit, and they can move stocks on occasion when they take on a meme status. But they're not, you know, they're not uh, real market. The makers, retail yeah. investor is they move like GameStop, a, a, a micro cap company by comparison to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. They don't move Apple, Apple, right? No. Because that's institutionally anchored. Mm -hmm. So you think about the distribution of where the money is and the distribution of the decision making authority. It's really in not a lot of hands. Mm. 
So it's in your really, really big institutional so, so investors. Like way, yeah. So the, much like the way the stock market really biases to these big players, I think. I'm sorry, the, the index is biased to the heaviest weighted. I think the stock market's biased to the heaviest weighted participants, which is where you get these sort of underlying complaints about the Black Rocks and the vanguards of the world that have this massive institutional control. But it also explains how like the disconnect between Main Street and Wall Street. And so mm -hmm. Main Street's out there feeling the effects of inflation painfully. And what Wall Street says is, well, our margin's affected, but our life isn't that affected. Right. right. And I think that's the problem with Washington, D.C. now is there are a lot of people in leadership positions that they don't have, feel it. They're insulated. Yeah, they, they, they're very insulated. They still go out to the expensive dinners with their thousand dollar bottle of wine or whatever it is. And just and, and you know, and they ride the government jet around. And to well, them, they, they don't feel the pain the way their constituents do. They kind of in a way also have the printing press on their side. Right. Well, like, without question, they do. Yeah. Now, and this gets more interesting because, you know, there's some brinksmanship going on about whether or not we're going to have a, a government shutdown and you know, mm -hmm. we're going to reach the debt limit, to which any normal human being looks at this and says, you mean to tell me I'm going to run out of money before the end of the month? I better do something. And what the government says is, holy cow, I better apply for another credit card. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and I'm the one that gets to issue it. Mm -hmm. So I can tell myself yes and just do it. So it... You can see where the disconnect keeps growing, and so all of this to suggest that, again, the economy is not necessarily reflective of what the market's going to do. Washington, D.C. just has an accountability problem, right? Well, and, and this the point was not to throw no. rocks at D.C. The point was to get back to your original point. The Fed finds itself in a corner now where it's trying to do what it can for monetary policy, trying to impact the economy, mm -hmm. and the stock market is surfing those decisions but it's not necessarily right. Those are the waves, not the tide. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's good. I really like that analogy. So that's my issue with the markets right now, is that uh, the markets could go up in spite of the economy. Economy could be going down, and stock market could still go up, or vice versa. But for most of us that are trying to deal with inflation and so forth, we really care about this because if we can't get inflation under control then you can have 7 or 8% mortgage rates and still not have affordable housing. The prices never really come down. Mm -hmm. because and they haven't. If housing has continued to become less and less affordable. Mortgage, The 30-year mortgage today on Google said it was like 8.19. Yeah. And so, and so here's the issue. Why? A lot of it comes down to supply and demand. There's well, just It comes down to supply. Yeah. Because the demand hasn't changed a whole lot, right? That's People true. still need a place to live. But the more regulations we have in place, right? The folks, harder it is to yeah. build something. If sure. you like people don't see it like, hey, we want to have more uh, a better fuel efficiency standard. And we're going to apply that across the board including big trucks. Big trucks are the last mile of delivery for all of the supplies that go into the houses that are being built, mm -hmm. right? Which means we just increase the input cost of materials going into the house because if if you have to buy all new fleet of trucks to comply mm -hmm. to get to the mileage, or if you even can't, so you have to pay fines, well, who, what's going to happen? The price of all the products going to go up in order to pay the fines to meet the environmental criteria like we've penalized and that penalty ends up in the cost of the product yeah the taxpayer is burdened by added regulation well, just not just the taxpayer right businesses pass this mm -hmm. stuff on the consumer feels it what do you yeah. think cost of the inflation 
Right. Right. Like what really caused the inflation? You want to know, like, let's talk Oregon. Why do you think Sun River is so expensive? Right. This is just a fun one because I was looking at the market the other day. Why, okay. Why do you think that is? Because when you shut everything down and people in Silicon Valley say, I don't have to live in Silicon Valley anymore. And they move to where they, they can have their best life and get outside and play. Mm -hmm. And they're used to making 350000 a year on Google salary. And they can work from home with very limited accountability to the, you know, they have to produce yeah. the outcome, but there's nobody like sort of checking that they're at their desk much. And a $700,000 home there is still cheaper than, cheaper the... than San Francisco. Yeah. So like, you know what? We can bid these things up. I, you know what? If I was in San Francisco, I'd pay $2 million to this place. Mm -hmm. If I pay $2 million there, I can get a palace. And then all of the prices go up everywhere. Right. And so it was a shift in demand because the policy changed behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the supply was really fixed. Well, because the supply like, is. It, there's there's yeah. not more places to build in many cases, right? right? Like if there's no more lots to build, and Oregon in particular, very restrictive land use. So you mm -hmm. can't just develop willy-nilly. Yeah, this you know, isn't Texas. Yeah, there's a lot of places in sort of the, the, the southern and southeastern United States with far looser building. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, they, they still have codes, but they don't have the same land use restrictions or urban growth boundaries and mm -hmm. so forth. Like, you want to go, you, fine, I got an 80 acre farm. You want to build a house on it? Go ahead. Here, no, no, that's own farm use. Can't build a structure on it unless it's farm structure. And what is that? And I, I don't even know the rules. I just know they're wacky. Yeah. Okay. All of that is regulation that contributes to supply shortage. And it didn't change demand, which means the price stays higher. And another driving piece of the puzzle in the inflation equation. Right. Yeah. And so that that's why policy matters. It does. It really does. Right. It's why the Fed gets their hands sort of handcuffed, too. It's like, you know, you do what you want to slow inflation down. But if you are raising interest rates, meanwhile, the federal government is doling out contracts for infrastructure. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and the contract basically is a pass through. The contractor says, well, everything's going to cost more because of the rates and regulations. And the government says, well, here's a blank check. Go for it. So I want to ask you this question then. So we're witnessing a lot of turmoil. And this was kind of the theory behind the show. With all of the turmoil that we're experiencing, it sounds really bad on the surface and maybe even just deeper than the surface. But inside of that turmoil, where can there be opportunities and how can investors apply that to potentially be in a better spot moving forward? So the opportunities will be dynamic, in my opinion. Yeah. Right. If there's one thing that's frustrating right now, it's that in the short term, it's very difficult discern, to discern an investment from a trade. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the markets are behaving with really short term patterns. My suspicion is that this has to do with a combination of the interest rates affect cost of capital. They also affect margin rates. And I think we have a, a lot higher participation in the derivatives markets than we've had at any point in our market's history. Right. And so what that does is, you know, for, for the, all of you that are just like, what the heck did he just say? Derivatives are things like options and futures markets. And there you can use a fraction of money to control a much larger block. So you can leverage. Just like you can borrow money to buy a house and you can control a bigger 
block of money. The house is worth you're, more. Yeah, your $20,000 down payment yeah. on a $300,000 home. <laughs> yes, and you can do that in the stock market. And I think a lot of people are. And so in a sense, fewer participants are able to bully the market around by buying these contracts that bundle up and control other chunks of the market at a time. And so all of that contributes to faster cycles because most of these options have expiration dates that can be you know a few days to a few months the really long ones maybe a year or two yeah but for the most part these are short-term instruments and it can contribute to volatility yeah so it's hard to look at investments the same way right i think you still can and i think you still must but separating the the trades from the investments requires more research and more patience right now and you just i think i think investors have to tolerate more volatility in the short term because of the nature of this market that's a good point um one of the one of the areas that i look at it from is kind of you know we talked about the indexes earlier and you mentioned how they can be skewed based on market capitalization how big the company is and how that can change the dynamic of the index itself but, you know, I look back to, and I'm not trying to compare where we are today or what's going on to 2008, because I don't think that's a fair comparison. No, they're, they're different. They are. but They rhyme, but they're right. different. But I, everyone, I think, has this kind of flagship moment of saying, hey, 2008 was horrible. You know, I did bad in the market. Not everyone did bad in the market. Not all investments did bad in the market. Um, I went and I looked in, at some of the top performers in 2008. There were a lot of companies that went up in value based on their on their share happens. price. Yeah, I mean, right? I mean, like, but you know, if you're saying, well, ninety seven percent of companies dropped, but three percent didn't. Uh, so I don't. Yeah, I mean, sure. Well, I'm, I'm sure just that saying that there was opportunities, money. right? Yeah, I like, think the the real opportunity though is that this is all right. Let, let's do this. We will. There's this investor behavior that I see people make often. Okay. It is a it's a mistake. In my opinion, it's a mistake. I want to talk to everybody about it, but this is a really awesome time to give you guys a cliffhanger. And so I'm gonna take a break because we have to. We'll come back and let me tell you about the super common mistake, super easy fix, but it happens a lot in down markets. Okay. okay. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you got True Wealth on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang. Welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show, where once again we are solving the world's problems in our minds one step at a time. I like it. <laughs> so I promised Matt that our listeners, when we took the break, the there was this question that, that I posed, which is, you know, what's this common mistake that I mm -hmm. see? Uh, without getting too cutesy on this one, I just see people that get really emotionally connected to a stock and it falls in price, or any investment, right? It falls in price and then they're unwilling to sell it until it recovers. Yeah. I think the mistake here is not understanding when you're making a lateral move, okay? If, you're, if something is down and you sell it, but you buy something else, you are exchanging for what you believe to be a better opportunity. Mm -hmm. If you're wrong, bummer. Okay, so do your research and make sure that, to the best of your ability, you're not jumping off of a better but horse what, to a yeah, worse. Yeah, you're saying you don't necessarily have to hold something forever 
because you're not guaranteed to have that come back. Like, uh, yeah, I'm I'm saying a lot more than that. Yeah. I think people fall in love with stocks when they buy it at a price, and then they they don't want to take a loss. Mm-hmm. And so what they do is they look at it and, and they don't look at both sides of the, the people equation. don't want to admit that they were wrong. Yeah, I mean, there's probably that. And then there's a simple version in my mind, which is, well, I don't want to take the loss. Okay, but if it prevents you from getting to a better gain, mm-hmm. then you're not looking forward as an investor, right? And we have seen this a time again and again and again and again forever, okay? Past performance is no indication of future results. Absolutely. Okay, and so, right, look, at some point you sell Blockbuster and you buy Netflix, or you don't and you lose it all. Right? I mean, but that's sort of the issue. Yeah. Right? At some point you say, what got me here isn't what's getting me to the next place. And so that's really challenging as an investor to know that. But even Warren Buffett sells stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? He's not a buy it, set it, and forget it for eternity guy. He buys things, allows them to mature to a full market value, and sometimes he believes they're overvalued, and he will sell them and take profits and go look for new opportunities. Right. And that's what investors do, which is why it's tempting. Like, go buy a mutual fund, and you know what you bought? Somebody else manages that problem for you. Mm-hmm. But if you buy the individual positions themselves and you build your own fund, and again, we do this, so you know we're we're not completely without bias in this statement. But that's the point is that sometimes you just have to be able to say, I mean, right now, okay, no recommendations here, but we have struggled with the idea that don't, I mean, if you go look up Dollar General right now, Hmm. that's one of those where I'm not telling you about a win that we picked. I'm telling you about a loss that we're dealing with right now. And so we have to make the decision as a firm do they deserve to be in the portfolio any longer? Mm-hmm. Like if I walked into today and looked at that the company and said, you know, it's a heck of a bargain, I'd pick it up. Or do I walk in today and go, it's a heck of a bargain maybe, but this one over here, I'd much rather own that today. Mm-hmm. That's the decision we're faced with. Now well, notice I didn't tell you what we're doing. That's on purpose. Not because I don't want to share it with you, but because I don't want anybody to say I'm giving investment advice. Right. Just telling you we bought this thing in a tank and now we got to figure out what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and sometimes... It actually can be to your benefit to sell something at a loss, right? Depending oh, sure. on what type of account it's in. Yeah. But you might be able to harvest a loss to help offset some gains, depending on what type of account it is. Yeah. And that goes into just the complexities of managing your investments. Mm-hmm. You know, and we're I think today's show is more about the big picture of the economy and what we're seeing going on, where we see interest rates. Let me bring it back to that for a minute, Matt. All of this comes back to your original point of sticky inflation. Mm-hmm. Can you give our listeners a little bit of a sense of, first of all, what's sticky inflation definitely doesn't sound like a financial term. What's it mean? It just means that the rates have gone up and the odds or the predictability of it going down anytime in the near future aren't very good. So so this is a descriptor mm-hmm. for inflation. It's yeah. not like, oh, well, there's runny inflation. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking no. of dumb examples, but like sticky in this case means we think it's unlikely to change. So it's Anytime likely to stick soon. around. It's sticky. Right. Uh, as so, opposed to transitory inflation, which, well, we think it's high, but it's going to come back down. And so we're we're, you know, feel like we're on the right path. Applicable areas for this. I think about the person who says, hey, I'm going to 
buy a house now at 8% interest, but you know what? A year from now, I'm going to refinance it at 3%. And I, I'm like... looking less attractive now. Like less Less probable. probable. Yes. Now, no, I'm yeah. not saying it can't happen, and I'm not saying that it won't. But the numbers are saying you're saying the Vegas sports books would not give you good yeah odds. the over under here is uh <laughs> is it's questionable <laughs> yeah the chances of the interest rates going down real soon are like plus two hundred <laughs> isn't it funny though that there's almost some truth in that analogy that if you're trying Absolutely. to handicap the market like that it does think similarly to the way Vegas weighs a sports book yeah absolutely and well think about it people have to be able to be somewhat accurate on this. Or billions of dollars get wiped out, right? right? Like people are watching this with a like a hawkish eye, right? Like they're they're focused in on it, and they have to get it right, or they're going to lose a lot of money. And so, if the word on the street says this isn't looking good, and you hear it everywhere, the odds are probably pretty good that it's not good. Yeah. Well, and this is also why, when it comes to fixed income, that's routinely referred to as the smart money. Mm -hmm. And right. this is also m maybe why someone would use a laddering strategy when getting into fixed income. Okay. Because what do you mean? Okay, I, I, I had to throw I, it out I know there. what you mean. Yeah, tell our listeners so what you mean. Would in simple terms, would you take all five hundred thousand dollars of your money and put it in a fixed income product that matures thirty years from now? Depends on the dollar figure, I suppose. Right. It, but, yeah. 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 Like in today's market, yes, I'll pay you fifty percent interest on it for the next yeah. thirty years, and you go, that's really high. Or maybe even a better example would be saying, "Hey, would you loan out all of your money on a ten-year note? So ten years out into the future, or do you think that rates might continue to go higher, and you have a better opportunity?" in sure. the future. And so what a lot of people do is they build a ladder of investments where they loan their money out in blocks, right? So one block of your money is loaned out for a year from today. And then the next block is two years from now, the next block, three years, four years, five years, and so on. Something to that effect, right? So you're staggering your time frame exactly. so that some of your money is basically coming due Back. it's it's yeah. it, that that in that period of the loan is going to mature right and, and then you you're going to reinvest at whatever the new rate is at that right. time or maybe you don't maybe the rates have fallen and there's a better opportunity maybe the stock market's been really beat up and you see mm -hmm. an opportunity there and you're like yeah you know i don't really you know rates have fallen there at two percent maybe i want to put that money in the stock market right you're basically cost averaging with your yield Exactly. You know, yield over time. It gives so. you more flexibility to have access to your money at various stages. Yeah. Well, uh, and yeah, we haven't even gotten into liquidity or the lack thereof in this scenario, but okay. Yeah. So um, we're getting in the weeds, aren't we? No, no, I don't think. Uh, sure, maybe. I mean, our, our listeners could tell us better than we could, I suppose. Uh, I, I just I think it's very interesting to consider. The ramifications as investors right now, um, sometimes I like to just boil it down to like, what, what does this mean for people and what should they do? Um, I, I continue to think what this means is that this, these conditions might persist for a while, mm -hmm. right? I'm, I'm, it, it's, I'm concerned that there's well, so, we have such a shortage in supply and we still have um, regulators continuing to 
uh, look to tighten up regulations even further in so many areas that uh, just create more economic headwinds. Mm-hmm. And we're 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 like out of policy tools in the in the at the Federal Reserve level. So we have to raise rates because inflation's out of control. The government is in some ways manipulating the supply side of the market in so many ways by additional adding more regulations that you can see what it's doing it it it, it squeezes the what it really does is it squeezes the lower half of the middle class mm-hmm. because if you just don't have the discretionary margin in your life it, it, it all goes into your cost of living and then what's left with this is the time bomb that really concerns me is look at the amount of consumer debt and how that's spiking like look at credit card debt student mm-hmm. loans I mean, we're reaching all-time highs here, and we did see this push where wages went up, but they're really flattening right now. Like, as unemployment started to go up, mm-hmm. right? And what does that mean? If unemployment goes up, it means that employers don't – they have more people to choose from, so there's less wage pressure. And we've seen when, a when lot of that recently. Up. We've seen a lot of wage inflation because we've had a shortage of workers. Right. Inflation numbers have been really low. Mm-hmm. There haven't been a lot of workers to pick from. Yeah. But so. we could see that change. We could. We have seen a lot of layoffs from some of the bigger tech companies. Now, that's not to say we've seen it from all the companies across the board, but we've seen that start to change a little bit. We've, we've seen really... Uh, interesting stuff. We saw Macy's in San Francisco close their store. I saw Target today shut down nine stores um, because of retail theft. Retail theft. uh, I mean, we are seeing things change, I think, in the likes that we haven't seen before. When I mean, can you recall a time in history where we've seen retail theft and theft across the board at the rates that we're seeing it today? No. No. No, I can't. And this one... It's really tough because here, the, and it makes it tough as an well, investor too. It's a financial program, but make no mistake, policy impacts this stuff. And this is an example where policy has a direct impact, absolutely, on an, an investor. Right? If if you have a policy of not prosecuting theft below a threshold, uh huh, in it California in particular, it. yeah, what you're saying is, go ahead and do it, yeah, because nothing's going to happen. And, and we did this in Oregon when we said we're With going the to drugs. decriminalize drugs. Yeah. And then what we saw is, well, we have a decrease in gr- drug crime because mm-hmm. we, it no longer counts as crime, but we have an increase in homelessness. Well, and, and other issues like drug yeah. deaths, mm-hmm. right? So overdoses like you start to have overdoses come, become more of a problem and so forth. And you go, well, that nobody should be shocked by that. Well, you know, there was research that said this, that, and the other. I, look, well, and I then can you got find the your research saying, to, to, to tell you whatever you want. I mean, I, remember, there's three kinds of lies in this world, right? There's lies, there's damn lies, and then there's statistics, mm-hmm. right? And so I tell you the story that you want to hear. And then there's that person squawking for more regulation, which we just talked about that earlier on the show. It it's doesn't. Like, well, that the thing is, when somebody screams, somebody do something, somebody fix this. Like what we need to do is increase the minimum wage. And then I go, right. So what you just did is unintentionally fan the flames. Mm-hmm. Like I don't question that your motives are very good. These people need living wage jobs. That's true, but you can never make a job living wage. You can't make an entry-level job living wage, well, right? An know, unskilled position. Let's I'll say, say an unskilled again. position. You can't make a job that's not, well, I say, 
when I say you can never make a job a living wage, the job meaning like you can't, uh, yeah. the job has to be valued at a living wage. You can't right. just declare a value to the job and say, you know Everyone what? Everyone gets optimized. Yeah, living well, we always standards. pick on like flipping burgers. And the reason we do that is because it's low skill and entry level, right? Mm -hmm. And now because we can prove that robots can do it, right? So you look at this and go, oh, okay, well, this entry level job. If you don't show up, I can get somebody else right behind you to do it. It takes no particular skill other than show up and basically do what you're told and follow the hygiene rules, mm -hmm. right? So if you can do that minimum level of competency, you can do this job. And it's like an eight-year-old could do this job, right? You don't need to, and so, you're, well, I'm a you 30-year-old know, with you know a couple of kids. Like It doesn't make the job more valuable because your life circumstance is harder. Preach it. You need to have more valuable skills so that you can have a job that pays a living wage, mm -hmm. not tell the job to pay more. Right. All that does is filter into the system like any other regulation and make it cost more. Then the person that owns the business has to charge more to pay you the adjusted wage. Yeah. And so inflation. First, I, I, I really think most of the people that listen to our show, this is just sort of like, well, duh. Yeah. Right? It's, it's the group of people that are often very well intended, right? They're very well intended, but there's this disconnect where they think, no, you have to do this because like the company's inherently evil and they're not sharing. David, the radio show is worth it even if we convert one person to <laughs> sound logic, okay? It's, well, that's the, the reality is whether you agree with it or not does not change truth. No, exactly. Right, so you, like, you, you can shout at truth all you want, it doesn't change it. We'd so. love you to try and debate it too. We love naysayers. So there you go. <laughs> Look, let's grab our last break here. We gotta do this or we are gonna, uh, basically we're gonna run out of time on the show. So when we come back, I don't know, we'll probably throw rocks at something. It'll be great. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. Okay. And Matt Dixon. And you got Truewell on News Radio 93.9 FM and 1240 KQEA. All right, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the True Wealth Show, where I get to ask Matt one super important question mm -hmm. that all of our listeners can benefit from. Yes. Matt. Okay. We have talked about a lot of pretty terrible stuff today. Mm hmm But I still believe that, you know, you find me a room full of manure and a shovel, you start digging for a pony. What I, is the silver lining? I always there? love the silver lining, right? And this kind of goes back to what I started to talk to um, on for a moment with the 2008 discussion. Even in 2008, there were bright spots in the market, right? Financials wasn't one of them. The, out of the top 10 worst performing stocks, nine out of the 10 were financials. But if you look at healthcare and staples in that year, there was a lot of bright shining stars. So even in the worst of circumstances, you can find good opportunities so I would encourage the listener, if you're scared about this market or if you're worried about the higher rates, there are opportunities out there. You just have to find them, right? So maybe you have enough money to where you can get into some type of fixed income product and make enough monthly income where you couldn't have done that three years ago because rates were at 2% or whatever. So even if it looks bad on the surface, there are opportunities to make money, to position yourself better than you were previously. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more that these times when the markets are volatile are times when opportunities are born. Absolutely. Uh, fixed income, there's, 
There's more meat on the bone for fixed income investors than there has been for years. Well, right and I now. think I, I said this earlier. Like decades, honestly. Yeah, that's 100% true. I, foreclosures are up 15% in the last six months. So maybe yeah. real estate's an option. I don't know that it is. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But I'm saying opportunities arise. You just have to be diligent and be looking. Yeah. Things are on the move. Uh, I always what remind do you folks think? to. Well, you know, I think this is a great time to assess your risk tolerance. That's Every a time good one. you go through a down market, it's an opportunity to say, hey, if I'm really uncomfortable with this, then did I just allow myself to sneak into a higher risk category because greed. I was. There's greed. Yeah. Because yeah. it just did, it wasn't as scary when everything was working. Now is a really good time to pump the brakes and do a fair self assessment. Like, is this the right risk for me? If it's not, then make strategic changes, right? Maybe the timing's not maybe great. Maybe not to do radical it, but, changes. But yeah, but maybe you start making strategic changes. What I would not do is start 100%, like jumping around yeah. in stuff. I'm going to take 100% yeah. of my portfolio and put it in cash. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not the time to make extreme decisions when the markets are down and lock in a bad decision. Right. Okay? If you need a second opinion or help with that. Matt, how do they reach us? Give us a phone call at 541-375-0898 or go to littlejohnfs.com. All right. Well, we are out of time for today. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And again, follow up with the podcast and everything. But we got to run for now. Until next time, I'm Dave Littlejohn. And Matt Dixon. And you've been listening to True Wall on News Radio 939 FM and 1240 KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.